Welcome to Because You Need to Know. I'm Edwin K. Morse, President and Founder of Pioneer Knowledge Services. This series is your digital resource of valuable conversations with nonprofit and knowledge management enthusiasts from across industries and from around the globe. Well, hello, this is Anthony Jaren Rim. I give you my full name. I'm more comfortable just calling me Tony. I'm from Chicago, currently live in Charlotte, North Carolina area, right outside of Charlotte in this town called Waxhaw. Family been here for about four years. Very interesting area, a lot of horse farms. Uh, being a city boy, you know, coming out to this area of the country, it's, it's all about quality of life. It's real interesting to see horses and cows and not be too far from an actual city. Charlotte, I think, is a perfect mix for a city, a perfect mix of activities. Uh, you got your pro sports, which I love, the, the basketball and football, have nice restaurants. Doesn't quite step up to the plate like Chicago, but you know, it's... Um, <laughs> What's the barbecue it's, like? It's not bad. It's not bad at all. Uh, but, uh, you know, you get used to a certain type of barbecue in Chicago and uh, Chicago hot dog, nothing like it. Chicago pizza, nothing like it, even though I know my, my New York colleagues are, are arguing with me on that. But this the restaurants are pretty good. I enjoy it. The weather, fantastic, uh, especially coming from Chicago. Yeah, but it's, it's hot. It's, it's, it's hot. I can deal with hot and humid. I just don't like cold and freezing. Yeah. <laughs> you get kind of tired of that, don't you? Got tired of that, man. Born and raised there, spent most of my life there, even though I had stints where I lived different places. I think one of the, the coolest places I've, I've lived is Portland, Oregon. Now, you can think, well, it rains most of the time there. Which right. yeah, absolutely it's an overcast, right? It's yeah, overcast. Yeah, I, I was there for a couple of years, but what what made it really cool for me was the people I met, guys I uh, formed lifelong relationships with. We still stay in touch. These guys, we had shared interests. They were all, you know, a lot of them were they own businesses. Some of them and tech information technology. We all played basketball at, at either college, high school, or both, or and, and we played together in tournaments. So it was. That camaraderie that was that was formed, sure. so mutual interest. Your stuff. pick of best place to live is based on the culture that was there. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Wow. And, and I, I enjoy Portland, right? Uh, but mm. like you said, that one called Prozac season where it's just overcast <laughs> for months. No it, sunshine. No, no, no sunshine. Nope. It's just no. incredible. Other than that, it's it's a great area. Another area I, I spent time in, and I think it's one of the country's best kept secrets, is Denver, Colorado. Now, I purposely stayed away from Denver, Colorado. I think it's always snow and cold, but actually, it's, it's sort of in the valley. Yeah, and the weather's it's a surprise, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. It's really surprise. I'm like, this place is fantastic. <laughs> I'm like. Who knew? And but they don't tell you. Yeah. But they don't like to tell anybody about That's, that. No, yeah, I think they're getting kind of full. Actually, <laughs> they, they may be like, uh, you know what? We're full. No more capacity. Don't come here. <laughs> That's right. Uh, uh, yeah, capacity. Yeah, we 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 reached our limit. Thank you very much. See, that's probably part of the marketing. They don't tell people what it's really like because then more people would come. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, people listening to this uh, podcast, you know, I think they, the secret's going to be out. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we talk about fantastic jobs. Uh, I've been running my consulting company, uh, AJ Rimless Associates, for 30 years. You can see that's my passion. That's my favorite job because I'm able to do what I love. 
I mean, you do what you love. You, that's what the saying is. You do what you love. You never work a minute in your life. I, I'm passionate about what I do. This is this is technology, technology focused consulting, training, research. I love sharing. I love teaching. This company has been my my love for the last thirty years. I mean, I, that's my passion. You know, success is measured differently. I mean, I, I think I've been pretty successful. From, from a revenue perspective, from meeting different people, working with different companies, learning and evolving and growing as a uh, to a thought leader uh, in this industry. Um, I spend a lot of time writing, written a few books, contribute to a few others. If I was going to do nothing else, I, I would like to just write and do research, just explore things, discover wow. things, write about it, tell people about it. That sort of thing. I, I, I enjoy You're it. an inquisitor. You, you try to find out yes. how things or what things work. Yeah? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. And, and push the envelope. Mm. Say, hey, can I discover new things? Can I take these different aspects and make something new? All right. Talk to me about your process for innovation. How do you get there? Because some people are really good at uh, abstract thinking, but others are not. I've been very fortunate to understand and, and look at the big picture. How do you see something and not just where it is today, but where it could be? I've been very fortunate to be able to take concepts and extrapolate and understand the connectiveness of different concepts together. This one book I've read that I recommend a lot is called The Medici Effect. Medici Effect by Franz Johansson. It talks all about the intersection of creativity and innovation. He's done quite a few TED Talks and things like that. It's so, so how do you apply that? How do you apply that free-range thinking? Or how do you help somebody else get there? Well, it, yeah, your mind is like a parachute. It only works if it's open. <laughs> <laughs> and so you come, come with an open mind, but, but you talk to other people. You can't do this in a silo. It's like we're talking, we're sharing ideas. I've been knowing you for a number of years. Very open. You're very mm -hmm. open. You're sharing. That's how you innovate. You innovate by sharing, sharing what you know, understanding and absorbing from other people what they know. Because everybody brings a certain set of experiences to the table, to the table of life, to the table of uh, innovation. Yeah, yeah. I like the, the cultural richness that people bring to the table your background from um, cultural to educational to your experiences, everything that who you are, bring it to the table, talk and just start to share what you know. That, that's part of the, the team of horses, right? So you get the, the left is the sharing, the talking, the expression, but the other horse is right. in listening and understanding or and probably empathy. Absolutely. Uh, you need to empathize with people from where they are and their experiences and so I, I always like to come to the table first as a listener. I, I, I can talk all day about the stuff I'm passionate about, right? <laughs> you want to have practice having better listening skills. Actually listen and hear and, and get into what people are conveying. And that, that is a skill that is really triggered by being present. Right. You cannot listen unless... You're Listen. present. Now, in an organization I've done some work for, like at the start of a meeting, right? You do you give space to allow people to say where they're at. And what that does is it allows that person that wherever that rub is, wherever that friction is, uh, positive or negative, they may have brought to the 
space to the meeting. It gives him a voice to address it. And then it kind of dissipates that amplification of that event. And now they're more present. I think a lot more organizations could be, it's an easy step, right? It's just a really easy step to get people present to whatever we need to focus on. And that comes with having some empathy for that person and where they are and and what's going on. Because a lot of times people come to the table with all this stuff that's going on and they will react on something that someone said and they're not really yeah, yeah. wrapped around what that person just said. It's all the other stuff, like you said, that they brought to the conversation. Yeah. And sometimes say, wait a minute, hold on, hold on. This is really not like this person. All this, all this is really kind of out of left field. Let's calm down. Let's, let's say, okay, what, what, what is happening here? How, how are you doing? You know, just like you said, take a step back, you know, because people are dealing with life, right? And, yeah. and, and things that are happening. I think that is such a key ingredient for communications, effective communications to happen. Because in your example of somebody overreacting and other people around the table are like, what? I don't even understand where that's coming from. What is that? Right. And if you don't give space for that to dissipate and address it, if you ignore it, that's even worse, right? Marginalizing yeah. whatever that was and just moving on doesn't help. And sometimes it escalates. All right. So we, we've fixed all the personal Everything problems fixed, yes. in, the, in the world. <laughs> Our job is done. Thank you very much. So tell me how AI is going to fix all uh, that. Actually, it isn't. <laughs> the thing about artificial intelligence, some of the coolest technologies ever. Hmm. My master's is, is in computer science from DePaul University in Chicago, with a specialty in, in artificial intelligence. This is back wow. in 1989 when I got wow. my master's. And I was writing stuff in Prolog and Lisp and understanding expert systems and neural nets. I just thought that was crazy cool, right? Tech, from a yeah, technology perspective. Yeah. Far out in the future, right? Like, oh my oh, gosh, yeah. this is so... I can't even believe there was a degree in that at that point. Yeah, man. That's amazing. And I'm saying DePaul and their computer science programs was way ahead of the game. And I, and over the years, I, mean, I, I was doing expert systems and neural network technology work for different companies and all the way through to the late 90s. Then I got involved in knowledge management because I saw not just I didn't, I didn't I didn't actually know this connection, but other people and colleagues around me said, hey, Tony, you're really focused on expert systems, and that's about knowledge and codifying knowledge. Let me introduce you to something called knowledge management. That was like, okay, this this is more the people side of, of this, the management side of knowledge. Right. Yeah. If I'm codifying and capturing what people are thinking, how it kind of is structured, the, 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 the rule bases and things like that. Now, this is the people side. How do you manage that? How do you actually determine what knowledge they capture? And so that kind of like, okay, that was a marriage right there, right? AI and knowledge management. You fast forward, I've uh, been involved in knowledge management since uh, like 98, 99. Then kind of said, look, things are happening. Around 2012, 2013, somewhere around there, AI and, and more specifically, I would say, machine learning with all the quote-unquote big data and processing uh, speeds and processing capabilities mm-hmm. now allows us to make insights or gather insights and within all this pool of data. So now we are transitioning actually from data to information to actually grabbing knowledge and insights. See how we moved up the pyramid. Yeah. I said, now it's like, okay, let me bring all that together. And then I came up with a, a paradigm called knowledge as a service. 
which really I thought was, oh, I stroke a genius. I made something up. <laughs> Actually, I didn't. It was somebody else already came up with that term. But it was, it was something that kind of brings both KM and AI together. As AI is involving in different disciplines like medical area, which I think hmm. is making its most impact to the legal area, to all these different areas, AI is changing the fabric of how we do our job. Changes the expectation. Yes, right? it changes. So the once you get you, once you get used to how the new capability interacts, then you're like, oh, now everything should work like this. Mm -hmm. You know. So what industry is leading, and which industry is lagging? Do you think? Oh my gosh, that's that's, that's a great question. You may think about different aspects of technology as mm. well. I know an area of search from natural language processing to more semantic search engines to deliver search and deliver uh, personalized information and knowledge. That's one area. Mm -hmm. I always lean back on the medical area because I spent a lot of some groundbreaking. Was that because they got the deepest pockets or they just, um, did they I, adapt early? They have the deepest need, I think, ah. you know, because there's so much in the medical field from, from cancer to Alzheimer's to, to diabetes. There's so many things that is such richness of data available where machine learning and, and can really make an impact mm -hmm. and that's impacting lives. So we're talking about research capability and a quick turnaround for prognosis and treatment. And you're getting right. this picture instead of one guy lo looking at a chart saying, oh, your blood pressure is this high. We need to put you on meds. Right. You know, it's something with a deeper understanding. Mm -hmm. yeah, and, and you can think about the COVID, right? And, and how in the medical area and researchers came up with the, the vaccine mm -hmm. and how certain individuals brought things to the table and leveraged. There's a whole environment leveraging, uh, looking at how algorithms can take the data and determine better treatments or, or cures for different diseases and, and ailments. And you don't know if this is going to be a, another pandemic. If there is or when there is, we have learned and then understand how to leverage artificial intelligence to help evolve treatments and vaccines to, to combat those things. Problem solving and speed of and effective of solution bases will expand exponentially as machines get bigger and faster, right? I mean, is that an equivalent statement? Does well, that... I don't think so much. Well, it's machines getting faster and bigger, more processing speed is one. But the sophistication of the algorithms is another. And also the ethical nature of how the data is collected, how the algorithms are trained, and, and the uh, knowledge it, it is delivering. All that has to play a role. All that has to be part of the puzzle. So an algorithm is man-made? Yeah. Not machine-made yet. Does AI create its own algorithms? <laughs> mm, I know. That's when we start getting into Terminator movies, right? <laughs> uh, it, I'm saying, uh, when I say uh, keep a human in the loop, when you start talking about algorithms, talking to other algorithms or intelligent agents, mm -hmm. which are mm -hmm. algorithmic-based, it's, um, you know, it's all computational type of processes. Other algorithms can call other algorithms and sharing the data and start to communicate. So then other decisions can be made. I've got an example of what you're just talking about. If you wouldn't mind, no. I'll just, just to lay it out there as a real life situation. Smart thermostat in the house. We're on a grid system to where we have a solar farm. So it feeds the house and the grid. The grid is synced to the thermostat because we've intertwined those internet of things. So the company says, hey, 
we got a demand. We need you to change your temperature. But it was it was my decision. But I could see where it could someday where the electric company just tells my thermostat what to do. Not a person in the loop in that situation. You know, utility companies more so on the smart city grid, like Los Angeles. They, they have an amazing smart cities program led by Jeannie Holmes, used to used to be one of the leads in, in NASA, oh, NASA yeah. right? Yeah. They have yeah, a right, uh, right. leading in that smart city mm-hmm. implementation. So that's more on that side where sure. it monitors transportation, understand, and, and you can pull up, uh, bring up, get an app on your phone and say, okay, what's the best time to catch a train or a bus? The electricity is monitored based mm-hmm. on the time of day. Mm-hmm. So the electric company turns on certain lights, certain areas. That's more so on the smart city perspective. With your background of KM and AI and computers and machines and all these things, and the examples we've just talked about are current history. These are things that are going on now. Where are we going to be in 10 years as a digital culture? I strongly believe in in 10 years, smart homes will be common. Connected devices will be common. Uh, And also the need for security to protect those devices, connectivity of those devices from uh, hackers and will will be more common. With that interconnectedness comes uh, security needs. And so I'm I'm always... uh, pushing new computer science folks to look at security, mm-hmm. uh, internet security, mm-hmm. this, this IoT security, technology security in general. Yeah. Um, so that's going to be more more advanced. Because so. that threat's never going to go away. Never going to go away. I so- mean, you look at the current explosion of all this that's going on in the criminal world in the digital space, it's, it's a scary world to be in. And right. you're right. You're right. But uh, one thing I want to ask is, so where do you see the role of municipal structures to protect consumers or citizens in this? We, we as citizens and just in general, have to continue to pressure technology companies, governments to protect our privacy, protect our information, the, the privacy laws, GDPR, uh, all the HIPAA, all these other mm-hmm. rules and regulations around privacy has to catch up to the technology. Also, the legal implications of the technology, the legal area has to catch up with the technology and what the technology can deliver and what the technology impacts are. Overall, we have to really keep a, um, a pulse on understanding the ethical nature and delivery of these applications. Just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. Those are the things we have to continue to, to keep our eye on, yeah. keep pushing forward and make sure all that infrastructure has some kind of guidance around. Well, it. let's hope. Some of that's already been bought and sold down the river as far as protection of consumers with the merriment of big companies and government and where they collude for this type of leakage. I'll say leakage is my own private rights. You know, I should have more control over who's in charge of ethics. We can't rely on big business to be that. We can't rely on government to be that, sadly enough. Is there an organization out there to help there, individuals? There are in so many. There's a lot of areas pushing uh, ethics for data ethics, AI ethics, Government organizations like the OECD, you know, don't don't, don't quiz me on that. But OECD <laughs> is an international organization, and they uh, have an AI standard. There's a, a multitude of others okay. that are leading the okay. charge. I'm also involved with the as one of the uh, founding uh, editorial board members of the AI and Ethics Journal, produced by Springer. That journal has been around only for a, a little over a year, nice. and we're helping push the science 
of AI ethics and data ethics uh, across the board. And we constantly look for uh, contributing pieces to that journal from just about everybody, right? And, and it's peer-reviewed. And, and so some mm-hmm. we have uh, some thought pieces as well from people that are published. So it, it, nice. it, it gets the thought leadership out there. I think the ethics piece is a strong leg in this future of the world that we're going towards. And one thing that it's talked about a lot is biases of not machines, but the people that are behind the machines. I think, you know, we, we all come to the table with certain biases based on our experience, just natural biases. What we have to do is, is have um, a diverse thought leadership or that diversity of thought, I would say, when it comes to development of AI applications, understanding what data is needed, uh, looking at what data sets uh, are necessary to train the algorithm, cleanse out the unethical aspects of the data. Some data may perpetuate uh, stereotypes and biases around culture, uh, sex, because the algorithms are only going to deliver based on the data that's given to train it. If you, you can train an algorithm to be biased, you look at uh, what's happening in the uh, hiring process and, and human resources when organizations are using more and more AI applications to, to determine candidates or weed out candidates, those type of systems are ethically being developed and, and used. Your system couldn't be ethically developed, but it can be unethically used. Is there a need for an organization to future-proof itself by having an ethics department or somebody in charge of ethics? I think everyone, every company, especially in the technology aspect, should have ethics department or area mm-hmm. team that's a cross-section of people in the organization. You have diversity and inclusion. You know, you got all the deep move for DNI. You got to also have a move for ethics. You can't just have it in a vision statement. Oh, we're going to act ethical. Oh, okay. What What does that mean? Yeah. It, it starts there. It starts with laying that groundwork, but it starts in the execution of the, the program that's going to support that vision. It's one company that I'm doing some work with in the threat protection area, hmm. which is Skyla AI. They have sophisticated uh, AI applications that will detect weapons when people are coming toward a uh, building that may have weapons. They have behavioral mm-hmm. algorithms to understand the, the movement and behavior mm-hmm. of people uh, as well. They also have a fight detection. So they have somebody in an argument that will alert the security people to that there's a threat. And that's yeah. where the human in the loop comes in. That that's the mission of, of the CEO of, of this organization is, is to have an ethical delivery of their technology and the ethical use of their technology. Nice. And so they not only have it, like you said, in a mission mm-hmm. statement, but mm-hmm. they're executing that, that they're mission doing statement it. as well. Yeah, so, it's not just a paper tiger. They're really doing it. Absolutely. So when you put that out there, it reminded me of, of that. And, and companies have to have that sort of uh, mindset, right? This sophisticated technology in the AI space, and this does a lot of things, but we want to make sure it's ethically developed, delivered, and used. Well, on that note, what is knowledge management? What is it? Don't you know? (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, for me, it's a number of things, but it's 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 getting the right knowledge in the right way to the right people when and when they need it. That's the management of this thing called knowledge. So it goes back to, that's the base. Just give me what I need, when I need it, in the way I need it. To, to, in order for me personally to make a decision or to carry out some kind of um, mission or objective. Right. That's that real quick nutshell. But, you know, it has many tentacles and facets and things of that nature. So, Well, thank you very much for being here, Tony. 
this represents a serious, persistent attempt to get together between this guy's schedule. So I appreciate the persistence. Yes. No, I appreciate your persistence. We we pop them in other <laughs> meetings together. Say, oh, hey, how you doing, buddy? <laughs> What's going on, man? Oh, I, I need to talk to you. <laughs> well, thanks, Tony. Stay safe, and we'll see you around the knowledge management fire. All right, sir. Take care. Because You Need to Know is designed to bring people's experience and their knowledge forward to be shared. I'm Edwin K. Morris, and I thank you for joining in to listen to another conversation brought to you as a public service of Pioneer Knowledge Services, a nonprofit tax exempt organization with a charitable knowledge management purpose. Find us online at pioneer ks.org and add your voice to the conversation on Facebook.